Hey everybody, I'm Nick Bullington. And I'm Todd Oakland. And this is Fresh Takes. So, so Todd, uh, we got some feedback, and I wanted to uh, give you some of our listener mail. It's pretty exciting stuff. So, so Chris from North Carolina writes that Derek Lee was not on the 2003 Cubs. He played for the World Series champion Marlins. Eric Karros was the uh, first baseman for oh, the, that's right. the Cubs. So, so once again, I am an idiot and uh, shouldn't just talk about teams that I don't follow closely. Uh, so Eric Karros, that, that kind of downgrades the 2003 Cubs a little bit in my book. Well, I mean, Eric Karros was a fine first baseman, but yeah, he wasn't exactly Derek Lee. Um, well, not yeah. only that, I, I just totally misremembered that team, and I'll admit it. They, their record was 88-74. The Giants had a better record, for sure. Yep. And then, I don't remember who the other division winner was. But, but yeah, their record wasn't that sterling. I think... I think I overrate them because I think they were a good playoff team because they had two great pitchers and that's important in the playoffs. Have you ever seen this is this is a bit of an aside, but I, I do think it applies. Have you ever seen um on I think it's five thirty eight, they do their ELO ratings or ELO ratings for pretty much everything? Sure, yeah, absolutely. And they do uh they do like the history of MLB. Yep. And one of the things you can do is you can kinda of click on the franchise and then you not only see, um, you know, the, the up and down of that franchise over time, but you also see the period of time that they were actually the best, quote unquote, in the league based on the yellow rating. Sure. Um, it was kind of interesting, actually. Uh, it very, well, not, I don't want to say very rarely because I didn't actually do any sort of analysis, but it seems like it doesn't really correlate with who actually won the World Series that year. So, I yeah, imagine that it would correlate pretty well 1970 and before, but I mean, it's kind of your point last time. The more playoff teams you add, the it's it's kind of a crapshoot, so the less likely. Yeah, exactly, to exactly. Like um, uh, I was looking at the one I think it was from last year, going into the playoffs last year, and then even when they got dumped out of the playoffs, I think it was the Blue Jays that were considered the best team in the league. Um, obviously they didn't win, and actually the Blue Jays were considered the best team in the league for a big part of this season as well, except the Cubs, you know, were, were there. But yeah, it was interesting. Like, uh, um, you forget about some of those teams that were actually really good, <laughs> but they didn't actually win anything in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, like, you see the Oakland Athletics, there are a bunch, like, in the early 2000s, and you're like, oh, yeah, where are those guys? That was fun. But the Oakland Athletics, <laughs> this is, well, I guess this is going to be kind of a two-part thing. Look, yeah. Do you believe, well, yeah, I'll ask this question first. I, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask you. Do you believe the yeah. team can be built for the regular season or built for the postseason? So do you believe, like like I said earlier, the 2003 Cubs were a postseason team because they had two great pitchers. Do you believe that there is a difference between making a postseason team and a regular season team? I don't know. I mean, it's... So I want to say no, just because... Sounds silly that you'd build a team for like a month. But with that being said, I mean, Madison Bumgarner seems to have it figured out. So maybe there's something to that. Like, if you had a team of Madison Bumgarners, obviously you'd probably be doing all right. Not that he's a bad regular season pitcher either, but, uh, you know, there does seem to be guys and I don't know, maybe perhaps styles of teams, maybe better defensive teams, maybe better relieving teams that you would predict would be better in the postseason, that I guess you could build towards that? Um, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I guess I have to think more about it. What, what do you think? I think? I think so. And my reason is, who was the fifth starter for the Cubs this year? Uh, well, who was it? Um, we had Hendricks. He was good. Arietta was good. Lackey, good. Um, Lester, good. And I'm blanking. Okay, exactly. That guy that you're blanking on that wasn't yeah. one of the good ones, you're not going to see him, at least as a starter, maybe you'll see him in middle relief in some game, but you're not going to yeah. see him in the playoffs. And then, like, the Braves were good for an extended period of time. The Yankees were good for an extended period of time. The Yankees won a lot of World Series out of that extended period of time, and the Braves didn't. And I think part of the reason why is the Yankees had Mariano Rivera. Like, the, when you got to the eighth inning or ninth inning, those games were over, and I think having a dominant closer and having three dominant having three dominant starters and two crappy starters is better in the playoffs than having five 
a little better than league average starters. So I think in a way a team can be built for the playoffs, which in a makes the A's uh, series of uh, failures, I guess, that much more confusing because they had three good starters. They had Zito, Mulder, and Hudson, and you would have thought that with those three guys they would have had more success, but but maybe it's not just good starters. Maybe it's a certain type of pitcher. Maybe like Greg Maddox is great because he can put the ball exactly where it needs to be, but he's not going to overpower you. And maybe you do need an overpowering pitcher in the in the playoffs like a Roger Clemens. I, I don't know, but I do think there are teams that are better structured for the playoffs. That being said, it's still a crapshoot, and that's the problem. It's hard to differentiate the the uh, the randomness from the actual structure of a team. Totally agree. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just caveat just a little bit. So I, I pulled up the uh, the ELO ratings for for 2003 because we we're just talking about this. Um, it's kind of cool, actually. So the best teams, based off of this ELO rating, the best team during that season were well, the Angels briefly, the Athletics, the Giants, the Athletics, the Mariners. Man, that's that's kind of a blast from the past. Uh, Giants again, Braves, Yankees. Going into the playoffs, the best team was probably one of the Braves, Athletics, or Giants. Obviously, neither of those teams won anything. Um, I guess <laughs> uh, conspicuously uh, off the list is the Cubs and the Marlins, which uh, Marlins ended up winning. Cubs, everyone thought they would during the playoffs. So, yeah, it's a crapshoot. But I, I guess thinking about that, a little bit more, and there's actually an article, um, it was on Fangraphs, it might have been Dave Cameron that wrote it, which, I, I like Dave Cameron a lot, I like Fangraphs, but um, basically saying that even if the Cubs don't win anything, like, and I say that in quotes, win anything, um, they still kind of had a historically successful year, not only for the franchise, but for, if you actually were to compare that team to other teams in baseball um, over history, which makes me feel a little bit better and it doesn't exactly make me less nervous when uh, John Lackey can't find the strike zone during the first couple innings of the game last night. But with that being said, um, I don't know, it's just a different perspective, I guess. And maybe this, like you said, the Braves were on there and, and maybe this is where emotion gets into it and, and uh, clouding your memory of the time with what actually happened. But we, we went to game five of that Braves Cub series and... Yep. Did you? I never really felt like the Braves were going to win that game, and I don't know why. And I, and maybe I'm completely wrong and, and just misremembering, but I, I never felt like the Braves were going to beat the Cubs in that game. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, we also had zero hours of sleep, so, uh, you know, we could have actually been watching the, I don't know, the 1961 Yankees versus like the 2008 or like the 2009. Uh, Giants for all we cared. Like, we had no idea what was going on. With that being said, um, yeah, I mean, they were set up really well. I think Kerry Wood started that game. I'm sure someone, I'm sure a listener will probably correct me on that, but yeah, Kerry Wood started that game. Um, I had a ton of confidence in Kerry Wood. I was scared though, because we got there really early, if you remember. Yep. And I remember watching Gary, Fe- Gary Sheffield take a uh, batting practice and him just lining balls off the uh, outfield wall. It's like 15 consecutive balls that barely, they had to have been 10 feet in the air the entire time. It's like a <laughs> bore. Just him roping these balls off the outfield wall. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. this, is, this, this might be ugly. Um, I can just imagine him doing this the entire game. Um, but, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, I had a ton of confidence. I, I mean, probably irrational confidence. But, I mean, I, I did have a ton, ton of confidence in Kerry Wood at that point in my life. Um <clears throat> Again, I was 21, so I was probably filled with irrational confidence, basically in everything <laughs> at that point in time. Um, I don't know exactly why I felt that way. I think other than Kerry Wood was pitching, which looking back on it now wasn't really good. But that's the exact argument, right? It, it doesn't matter yeah. how good the the 2003 Braves were. Kerry Wood was pitching. And they probably had Tom Glavin pitching or something like that, and I'm totally dis, uh, disrespecting the Braves starting pitcher. But Kerry Wood was pitching, and Kerry Wood was 
Carrie Wood to me was the makeup of like besides the regular season stats, he was the type of guy that you want going in in, in the postseason. He was just a hard throwing image of Roger Clemens pitcher. And I, I, again, I don't have the stats behind it, and I could be completely wrong, but I feel like if there's a guy who, who a pitcher who outstrategizes the the opposing batters or um, his games based on movement, I feel like if you watch enough tape and you prep for it, maybe you can be ready for that, but you can't be ready for speed. There's nothing you can do about a ball that gives you 0.2 seconds less reaction time. That's true. No, that's a good point. So this would have been, I, I just looked, I, I'm a baseball reference right, right now. Um, so we've been in 2003, right? Uh, so been, okay, game five. Um, ooh, here's a, here's a name from the past. Um, Mike Hampton was pitching for the Braves. Oh, not, not, uh, not Steve Avery. Okay. <laughs> so, Steve Avery was still in the hospital recovering from whatever surgery he had last. Since we're talking about Mike Hampton, how do you feel about the Atlantic Districts? I guess I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're not as good as they're not as good as Denver. I think that's the that's the point. <laughs> it's probably a good point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was Mike Hampton. Okay, last from the past. Um, God, that guy made so much money. <laughs> that's really all I remember about him. Um, uh, I remember he was really good hitting pitcher. That's that's probably not the best I thing t- to remember about a pitcher. So I was just thinking about that too. He was. He was an excellent hitting pitcher. Um, actually. <laughs> The Braves had a lot of good hitting pitchers. Do you think that actually makes any difference? No. Because, I mean, again, thinking about the, uh, well, the series we just watched. And like, maybe it does. Maybe it does. Hey, actually, I'm going to, I, I want to go off that a little bit, but okay. talk about another baseball, um, possible myth. So, clutch performance. I mean, you mentioned Bub Gardner, and in the, uh, in the wild card game, he was, he was amazing. He was Madison Bumgarner. He was the same pitcher he's been for the last, like, his whole playoff career. And in the game against the Cubs, he was really good. He just, Arietta hit a home run off him. Right. But, do you, so, do you believe in clutchness? Do you believe there's clutch pitchers and not clutch batters? What do you think? That's, I want to believe. Um, simply because it makes sports a lot more interesting. Because, I don't know, you think about, I don't know, just think about clutch, quote-unquote, clutch performers of, of our sports lifetime, right? I mean, there's Jordan, there's Kobe, there's all these guys, and it's like, oh, you, you give them the ball, you give them the opportunity to actually do something late in the game, and you have the utmost confidence in them actually doing it. Um, I don't know, it, that's interesting, and, and it's it's compelling, and it's fun to watch. Um, with that being said, I <laughs> baseball's so weird in that, you fail so much of the time that I guess you could call somebody clutch if they are just, I don't know, 5% better than they usually are or 5% better than the next guy. So yeah, let's, let's just say, let's just say it exists. Let's just say there's a, there's a, a player out there that can concentrate more and be, be full of the moment, if you will, more or better than the next guy. And yeah, let's, let's go on that. I'm going to say it does exist. Uh, why not? I think it may exist for pitchers. I I don't believe it exists for hitters. And and the reason is like basketball, football, like the whole thing is you get your adrenaline pumping and you can just out jump the other guy or outrun the other guy or but you can do something more athletic than the other guy or or something like that. And if you're a batter, the the thing that a batter is trying to do is replicate the same motion over and over and over. I don't think that, I don't think that hitting, there's nothing you can do by, like, I guess focusing more, sure, but if your focus goes in and out, how is that tied to, how is that tied to the moment? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I guess I'm kind of counter, counter, contradicting myself, but I think you're arguing with yourself. But I think baseball, baseball as a hitter, the the whole point is to be able to do the same motion over and over and over. And I don't think that the moment necessarily would help you do that. Now, I do think there are guys that that uh, shy away from the spotlight. Like I do think there's the opposite of clutch for hitters. I think there's guys that just they can't focus because of the moment. But I, you have to be focused to hit. So I don't think that. A 
a big moment in a big series makes you more focused. Now, pitching, on the other hand, if you usually throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and you're amped up and you throw a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, it's going to make you slightly better. So I think pitchers, there probably are clutch pitchers. I think Madison Bumgarner, just as one data point, makes that hard to argue against. But I don't believe in clutch hitters, and I'm probably completely wrong. All right, so I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with myself as well and say that I don't think clutch hitting exists simply because I bet Dusty Baker thinks it does. <laughs> um, actually, I know he does. Of course he does. Why wouldn't he? He probably he probably signed somebody to an extension just based off of that. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I bet there's been work done on this. I bet there's someone out there. Like, I'm sure Bill James has probably broken this down. I, I probably read it before, but. But, but again, with the baseball playoffs, how, how, how do you do the work on it? You don't get the sample size to be able to, to separate signal from noise. Now you're speaking my language. Um, actually, I was just talking to somebody. I was just talking to a client about sample size this morning. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, baseball is, and we talked about this before, it's, yeah. a, it's a game of uh, discrete outcomes, a lot of discrete outcomes over a long period of time, hence why there's 162 games. Um, and hence why the playoff doesn't work to yep. prove or disprove anything. Um, so yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, maybe you have a guy that craps his pants, but then you might just have a guy that's just hits the way he always does. And maybe that's considered clutch. Maybe it is. All yeah. right. 2016 playoffs. How do you, is there a team you're rooting for in game five between the Dodgers and Nationals or? Uh, <laughs> um, so I was actually thinking about this this morning. Uh, Selfishly, I'm hoping the Nationals win because I can't, I, I don't know if I can take any more late nights. Um, being on the East Coast is not conducive to watching, um, playoff baseball, unfortunately. Well, living in 2016 uh, is not conducive to watching playoff baseball. Well, also being 33 and having a full-time job is not conducive to, to yeah. having, you know, to watching playoff baseball either. Um, because, yeah, I was up till like, 2 in the morning. Uh, it would have been game 3, and that was brutal. And then I was up, I think the game got over, like, midnight last night, which, look, these are first-world problems. So <laughs> I'm not going to bitch about it too much. Um, but honestly, I, I, I think that Nationals are better, so um, I guess outcomes-wise, for, for the Cubs to do well, I would say the Dodgers... Uh, for Todd's sanity and for my beauty sleep, I would say the Nationals. Honestly, I mean, look, it, it's it, it, I'll just take whoever makes it. I'm I'm thrilled the Cubs are there, and whatever happens, happens. So let's just just get it on. Did you watch any of the American League playoffs at all? I watched a little bit. Um, watch the Red Sox crap themselves um, in three games. Uh, just because you can't not watch it if you're in Boston. And uh, it's always fun to come to the office. And then, because you have six months of basically everyone saying, oh, Cubs Red Sox World Series. And then you come to the office the next day and you ask them how that Cubs Red Sox World Series is going to go. <laughs> um, which is nice. But yeah, yeah, I, I haven't watched, uh, I haven't watched the other series. Um, I like the Indians though. I think the Indians are good. Um, always a nice chance to get in some major league quotes. Dude, uh, God, nothing really happened. And I was the only thing I was disappointed in is there wasn't like a a Sports Center fight from the from the Blue Jays Rangers series. <laughs> That's true. I, I was kind of hoping for that as well. It seems like they kind of hate each other. Which I mean, look, people from Texas and Toronto have hated each other for hundreds of years. <laughs> So you're you're a you're a Cardinals fan living in Denver. Yeah. Um, how do you consume playoff baseball this year? Uh, mostly. Do you just watch out of just some pure curiosity, or do you actually like have rooting interest in anything, or what? Ah, this is terrible. So I am rooting for the Indians. I had two Indian starting pitchers on my fantasy baseball team. Uh, I at least know some people who are Indians fans. I like the theme of Year of Cleveland, so I am rooting for the Indians a little bit. Um, I hated Boston. I hate Boston, so a more reason to root for the Indians. Uh, 
Blue Jays, Rangers, I really didn't care. That's curiosity, but I'll be rooting for the Indians again. The, you know, I, I don't, this may come as a shock. I don't hate the Cubs, so I wasn't that, I didn't really care either way on the Cubs-Giants. The last playoff baseball game I went to was the Giants versus the Cardinals in 2012 when the Cardinals were up. I think it was, I think it was the DS, so I think they were up three or two games to one in St. Louis and just needed the win to move on to the next round. And they lost that game and it was Barry Zito, like Barry Zito, who had been terrible for I don't know how many years, just came in and dominated the Cardinals. So I, I don't like the Giants particularly and I don't like the Dodgers particularly. So I guess I'm kind of rooting for the Nationals. It's, it's not like, you know, like you said last time, it's a coin flip anyways, so it's not like I have a huge rooting interest. It's more curiosity, but I have teams that I'm kind of kind of rooting for or more more correctly rooting against. Well, yeah, it's tough it's tough to be the Cardinals against uh an, an even even year Giants team. Obviously, uh Barry Zito was possessed with the uh the the even your demon and uh, pitch, pitch your pitch your team out of the out of the playoffs. I, I'll um, never I'll never understand that Barry Zito game because not only was Barry Zito not good that year, he was also everything that I felt like even if you have a good regular season doesn't make you a good postseason pitcher. He has no <laughs> speed at all. He just he just flummoxed the Cardinals that game. It was so so frustrating. But yeah, no, do you think uh, do you think Bruce Bochy like? <clears throat> When he when he put together like his uh, his pregame strategy, do you think like the last bullet point on there is even year? <laughs> uh, maybe he did. I, I don't. 2012. I don't think that, that was that much of a uh, a thought through process at the time. This year, he probably did, and, and that didn't work out for him very well. Yeah, he's, he's talking about he's talking about shifting against uh, you know Anthony Rizzo or whatever, and he's like, but also guys, we just have to realize this is even year. So uh, I think I think we got this one. All right, all right. So we got um, one or two more pieces of of uh, listener mail. Matt from Oakland, yes, Oakland, said that the uh, the entrance was a bit awkward. As a listener, I feel you have to earn the right to ease into it. I think you guys need to have an agenda to start. And my own background for this critique is that I listen to Howard Stern. Well, I consider myself the the uh, next generation of shock jock. <laughs> And I really think it's just a matter of time before um, we get midgets and strippers. And <laughs> hey, so I, wait for it. We'll get there eventually. I agree with that. I think the day we'll know we've made it, the way that the Howard Stern show has made it, is the day that we also have a presidential candidate on our show. So Aren't we all presidential candidates? <laughs> I guess we are. I guess I could write in yeah. Todd Oakland. I mean... Do you have thoughts that you want to share on the 2016 presidential race? <laughs> um, if you don't, that's fine. We don't have to no, talk about no. it. No, no. I I feel like I missed my opportunity of 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 actually marketing like the 2016 uh, vote for the meteor sign because I swear <laughs> I came up with that joke like six months ago, and now I'm just starting to see T-shirts and, and signs in people's yards that say that. Um, but that's kind of how I feel. I mean, basically, the sooner the meteor hits, the better off we are. Um, I mean, look, it's it's uh, it's a mess. It's obvious it's a mess. Um, I'm not necessarily the kind of person that likes to watch the world burn. I at least want to have some sort of uh, uh, confidence or, or semblance of reason that everything's going to be okay. And I just don't feel that way at all. Um, so, I guess here's my question. Hillary's going to win. I don't think there's too much controversy in saying that. Let's pretend that somebody could just say that I'm going to run for president today and get on every ballot. And I'm trying to think of, like, like who is the least likely candidate that would still win? Do you think that if... Mm, Michael J. No, Michael J. Fox. The Parkinson's will work against him. Do you think if yeah, if you, if you think Trump is uh, meeting meeting Hillary against her, oh, yeah. problems, what do you think you're doing against poor Michael J. Fox? Uh, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. He decides he wants to run for president. 
He's on the ballot with these two people. Does he get more votes than them? I, <laughs> I have no idea. I think I, he does. I, <laughs> I think he, he has a fighting chance. The, the one thing that Trump's shown is if you're, a, if you're a celebrity who people, for some reason, think is somewhat smart, you can run for president. It doesn't matter that you aren't a politician. I, I think that, that Trump has shown that. Celebrities have more of a chance at reaching the Oval Office than anyone realized. Yeah. You can't be Gary Coleman, but you can be Martin Sheen. I feel like if Grantland was still around, we'd have a lot of uh, good think pieces about what this would mean for the monoculture. So um, maybe if we approach it that way, we can come up with some sort of idea of what this all actually means. Um, I don't know. It's just a mess. I mean, I'm sure it says something about American society in 2016, and it's probably not a good thing that it says. Um with that being said, I'm not really helping because I'm not, I'm just kind of sitting here and saying, this is, this is shit. I don't really know what else to do, so I'm just going to watch it. I, I think a lot of people are kind of in that situation as well. I don't think there, there is anything you can do about this election. Like, I said, well, I think I can do this now. I wanted to vote for a third party candidate just because I wanted to be less votes for the two parties, so maybe that would either, like, if I voted for the Libertarian candidate, maybe that would give a third party more access and more of a platform than they currently have. But then I live in Colorado that was a swing state, and I absolutely wanted to take no chance that Donald J. Trump would be the next president of the United States, so I was willing to go against my moral fiber and vote for Hillary. But now I think with Trump's latest little flub, he's made sure that he would lose. So I think I'm okay for doing that. But but again, the third-party candidate, I mean, that guy, he doesn't know about one of the most attacked cities in Syria. He can't name a foreign leader that he respects. He, he clearly does not know much about politics either. I don't know why, at least politics at the federal level. He's doing pretty well in Mexico, which means that New, or New Mexico, which means the New Mexicans must like him. That's his home state. So he's probably a great guy and he's probably a good governor, but I don't think that he would make a good president. But again, what what do you do? There's not a good option. Well, I mean, you're in Colorado, so you can just get stoned and not have to worry about it. That's true. Uh, so I mean, there, there, there's one option. Um, I mean, and I, that's actually probably what Gary Johnson would want you to do. Well, in fact, he would be okay with it for me. He said that he has given up marijuana because he's running for president, and he thinks that running for president and being president is a 24-7 job, and he would never smoke weed while on a job. So he doesn't smoke marijuana anymore, or at least right now. But he would be okay with me since I'm just an unemployed podcaster doing that. Very true. No, that's that's very true. You bring up a good point, and, and, and this is something that I've argued with myself before. I, I like to argue with myself a lot. It's I find it enjoyable. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's something I really enjoy doing. Um, but the whole idea of like, if you vote for someone that's not one of the major party candidates, either Democrat or Republican, you're you're throwing your vote away. I completely disagree with that idea, and I, I think you do as well. Yeah. And I think you put it basically the same way I think about it, which is like, if you really are someone that doesn't subscribe to either ideology just by virtue of actually voting for someone that actually does represent your ideology more and giving them more of a platform or giving them more of a, a, a stage in which that they can represent your beliefs and whatever, it's a win, right? You're not throwing anything away. I mean, you're, you're representing the way you feel about politics in the best way you could be. I mean, I, I would say you're throwing your vote away if you're not voting for the person that represents you the best, right? No, I agree with that 100%. I, I hate when people say, well, that's just a protest vote. And I don't care that they call it a protest vote, but the word just bothers me because you're making it sound like, yeah, it's meaningless. And that'd be like saying, hey, Martin Luther King, don't don't go marching because that's just, that's just a protest. It does nothing. Yes, voting for a candidate that closer suits your ideology is, is valuable because... Yeah, he's not going to win. He's absolutely not going to win. But if they get 18% of the vote, does, do they start to get more media attention? Do they start to, um, appear on more ballots? Do they, do they start to get a bigger platform? I think absolutely. So just 
just because he doesn't win an election doesn't mean there wasn't something that was accomplished by voting for him. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that saying you shouldn't vote for somebody because they have no chance of winning is, is idiotic. And But the other thing about it, that I guess the thing that bothers me, is the Libertarian Party does itself no favors. So he was given a speech during their whole nominating uh, primary, whatever it's called, the convention. There you go, the Libertarian Party convention. And somebody asked him about whether or not he's for driver's license. And he said, yes, I think there should be some sort of documented qualification for you to be able to drive a car. And he gets booed. He gets booed. Because libertarians, they don't want any, like, any controls more than necessary, but you, you take that too far, and the, the U.S. government, or the, sorry, the U.S. people are never gonna agree with that. I think the Libertarian Party needs to kind of back off a few of his edges to get more platform than they have. Yeah, yeah, and I remember when we were in college, it was kind of, I don't know, people would self-identify the Libertarian. I don't, we were in college, so no one had any idea what exactly that meant. Um, but with that being said, it's like, oh yeah, I just want to, I just want everyone to do what they want. And you start thinking about that a little bit more and you're like, oh, I don't know if that's really a great idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're not doing themselves any favor and, and it's, I don't know. I'm sure smarter political people than, than me really like the whole two party system, but I find it, I find it myself stifling and doesn't represent the way that I approach anything. In life, I mean, life's not a binary outcome. There's shades of gray. And um, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm in Massachusetts, right? I put in a vote for Gary Johnson. That's uh, um, not going to help him win the state. I mean, Hillary Clinton's going to win here regardless, right? Yeah. But with that being said, I mean, that, that vote can make the difference between Gary Johnson getting 8% of the vote and 11% of the vote. And honestly, that's a, and, and I'm talking about that in like the whole general election, like the entire country. Sure. And that does make a big difference. I mean, that, that makes a, a huge difference in terms of just justifying the idea of third parties as a, uh, a valid way of approaching or uh, the U.S. government. And we're not beholden to this two-party system. And I don't know. I, I always thought that we'd kind of get away from this two-party thing simply because everyone kind of feels differently. At least I feel that everyone feels differently about things and, and would have more of a, a, a outcry for some sort of a third party or fourth party or fifth party or whatever. But then you just see people just kind of glom onto these ideologies and no one wants to let go. So I have no idea. I'm, I'm babbling. I'm not a political scientist. I'm a crappy, no, si- I, I I'm, think I'm that, a crappy scientist. But, but I think the, the, the political media has... So you talk about baseball and baseball media and you have... You have Skip Bayless, he'll just bark about anything. But you do have um, Zach Lowe, for example. You do have uh, Joe Pesnaski. You do have guys that will look into a little more detail, look for no nuance, try to add something to the, the database of information that we have to digest currently. You do have people that do that on the... On the political front, I don't, I don't know that there is political media that's doing that. It seems like everyone is more the equivalent of Skip Bayless. I mean, I guess you have Nate Sil- Silver and Five Thirty Eight, but really all they're doing is trying to bring more information to wh- ha- what the polls mean. They're not really bringing any more information to, well, is a two-party system better for some reason, or what does. Uh, Hillary, Hillary's stance on Obamacare versus single payer versus some other system. What does that mean for the population? It's, it's all very much single payer is terrible because it hurts the worker or, or Obamacare is terrible because rates have gone up and it doesn't matter the more people covered. It's very much black and white and there is no shades of gray, I feel like, with political media. And I guess that's the other so I very much do not subscribe to Make America Great Again. I think that's idiotic. I think in most ways, America is the greatest it's ever been. That being said, and I'm sure this is being young and not being around during the 50s or 40s or 30s or 20s or whatever, I do feel like our politicians, our federal politicians, are a lot more in a, I'm on the Republican team, you're on a Democratic team, let's see who can wear each other out, and a lot less on, I'm a congressman, you're a congressman, let's see what we can do to make things better. I, I think they, they, the parties have pitted themselves against each other 
more and more and more and not look look at it from the stance of what can we do to make America better. I, I think that the two-party system seems so broken now because the people who represent the parties are less focused on driving change and more focused on beating the other side. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know what that means for the way that people think about this stuff because I, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot more room for common sense than what we might hear in the media. Like, I mean, and common sense, by, by common sense, I just mean like uh, thinking about nuanced arguments and thinking about shades of gray and thinking about things that aren't so cut and dry that you can't just subscribe to it and then put your head in the sand and never think about it again. Um, but I, I think, I think the catalyst is now here for a change as far as a third party in the future, because in general, Things that Americans believe they're just outright wrong, and the more they see that it's wrong, the more American opinions have changed. I mean, don't ask, don't tell, gay marriage, uh, segregation, slavery. Over time, we always go, over time, we almost always go in the right general direction. So, I think as more and more people see that the parties are broken, we have two candidates, and we don't really want to elect one of them, and we absolutely don't want to elect the other. That's obviously a problem. I think the more that we're faced with this problem, the more likely it is that people will see that they do want change, and, and that will happen. How fast? I have no idea. And and maybe it goes the complete other way. Maybe you get somebody who is more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <sighs> more narcissist and more selfish than Trump in the next election, but just has the general intelligence to not say a stupid thing in, as in his previous life. And he goes with the exact same rhetoric, but he doesn't have to defend sexist comments that he's made or racist comments that he's made. Well, that doesn't even make sense because Trump somehow used racist comments that he's made to his advantage. But he doesn't have to defend as many past gaffes because... You change two things for Trump, and you add one terrorist attack in the next month, he's the president. People people are scared, and they, they will vote for him over Hillary. I, I think he could have won. He just had two or three stupid miscues, which, of course he did, because he's Donald Trump, and the our lives have been better because there's not, well... <laughs> let's pray, there's no terrorist attack in the next month, and... and Hillary will be fine, which I guess is the outcome that I want Hillary to be fine, but but it's just, we were that close and he is terrible. He is terrible at presenting himself. It's not even like he's just a terrible human being. He's a terrible at giving the best face of himself to the American public, and he was still that close to get elected. And I say that like he's not going to win. I hope he doesn't. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's... Yeah. But Anyway, all right, let's stop. No one wants uh, to yeah, I mean, it's kind of a downer just because yeah. I don't. It's right. just so, so, so goddamn depressing. All right, so you talked about the Bill Walton book very, very briefly. I want to, I want to hear more about this Bill Walton because I've read. Uh, really, the title escapes me. I've read. Oh gosh, the, the book about the seventy-seven Blazers. Um, breaks of the game. Breaks of the game. I read breaks of the game, but I'm I'm curious to learn more. Uh yeah. So. Um, it's it's pretty much incomprehensible. I mean, that's that's the first thing you need to know about the Bill Walton book. Um, it makes no sense because it's basically just him. It's basically him writing like he talks. So there's a lot of flowery things, and but with that being said, it, it makes it very delightful. I mean, it's essentially a memoir, right? He's he's writing about himself. Um, he's writing about uh, his life. I'm still not all the way through it again because it's mostly incomprehensible. Um, and I, I keep getting on to other things. But with that being said, he, he does have kind of a, a gift for writing in a certain style. And um, I would recommend it for, well, I'd recommend it for you simply because it's hilarious in, in some cases. Um, and it's uh, it's just a, it's an interesting viewpoint from an interesting guy. I, I does he talk about his playing career or is it more just a, like a philosophy? Philosophy. Both, both. Okay. And again, I haven't gotten through the whole thing yet, right, but yeah. you know, it starts out kind of him talking about how much he loves his bike and going on about that for about 
15 pages. Um, but no, he talks about his playing career. He talks about growing up. He talks about, you know, I think he's always talked about like his, his battles with stuttering, those type of things. Yeah. Which you can't shut him up now. So you never knew he had a problem with stuttering. But, uh, um, no, it, it's an interesting, uh, it's actually very interesting. I, I, uh, I would recommend it. I'm trying to think. I know I didn't do a great job of, um, talking about it simply because I haven't read it for a while. But I'm, I'm in the middle. And this is, this is me trying to get on my, uh, my political high horse here. I'm reading a book by Hunter S. Thompson, um, that details the 1972 presidential election. Um, I think it's called Fear and Loathing. Is it Fear and Loathing in America? No, Fear and Loathing of something. Um, anyways, that's a good book. I would recommend that too, simply because he's an insane person. And there's a lot of, there were a lot of parallels in this election versus the, the 1972 election when Bernie Sanders was still in it, because George McGovern is kind of similar to Bernie Sanders hey, in a lot of ways. Interrupt, um, you, interrupt you, Rufa. Yeah. Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72. Thank you. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I think Fear and Loathing America is like a, a compilation of some of his works. Anyways, it's fantastic. I've read it a couple times. I'm reading it again simply because I'm, I'm trying to become a political junkie in the next, uh, the next uh, uh, month or so. Um, but again, it, it parallels a lot of the same things that we saw with like Bernie Sanders and basically <laughs> uh, what happens when these big, big, uh, big scandals hit parties and then just by how much they lose by, which is pretty fascinating. So, and you feel free to talk me out of this. Unfortunately, the first few times I read Hunter S. Thompson were page two on ESPN and I just didn't get it at all. I didn't get into him. I didn't get into his way of writing. I'm sure that is a much worse version of, of Hunter S. Thompson than any of his books were. Am I right? Yes. So he needs to, he needs to ramble on and write for it to actually be good. Um, it's hard to read him in 500 words or less. Um, because he, the, the way he writes is, well, I mean, it's just batshit insane, first of all. And, and second of all, I mean, he, he never, it's, it's very hard for him to make a point because he's always coming back to whatever he's doing and how messed up he is at the time and basically trying to put him into, he always just tries to put him into the story. So it takes a long time to do that. You can't do that in 500 words or less. Um, he's a pretty astute political mind. Um, certainly very passionate about that election and, and just passionate about politics in general. So. Again, interesting guy, interesting point of view, and he was literally on the campaign trail the whole time, following McGovern, following Nixon to some extent. Um, hey, back on the so the Bill Walton and part of the reason, selfishly why I wanted to talk about that is because I have you ever heard of uh, Cracked or listen to uh, go to Cracked.com or or listen to the Cracked podcast? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so so they just had one this that came out Monday. And it was about how science is wrong. And they were talking about things. Generally, like, science doesn't have a full view of things that deal with human characteristics or human emotions or anything really related to humans. They're very good at taking non-living objects and they're very good at taking other living objects, but it's hard to get inside the, the psyche of a human. And understand why they're thinking what they're thinking or why they're doing what they're doing or, or how eating certain foods actually affect their body. So that was the gist of what the, the, the podcast was about. And it was very interesting. It was very good. Um, they, then they start talking about sports very briefly and they talk about, uh, this is part of the reason why drafting a player is so hard. And then very nonchalantly, Jack O'Brien, who's, who's the host, says, yeah, my, my grandpa drafted Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan. And I was flabbergasted. And then he said, so the, the guy who's with him asking more about that, and he said his grandpa was Jack Ramsey. And Jack Ramsey was in the room whenever they were trying to decide who they wanted to draft, and, and they felt like they needed a center, and so they drafted Sam Bowie. And I guess, like, in general, when I think of, 
of teams as bad drafters or terrible drafters. I think it's because they're a bad GM. But that was an example when Jack Ramsey, I, I don't know who knew more about basketball, especially at the time, but Jack Ramsey was obviously a very astute basketball mind, and he made one of the two or three biggest mistakes in NBA draft history. It, I guess I never really thought about that. It was interesting. It was interesting that they took my view and they said, you're completely wrong because a guy that knows way more basketball than you do made a decision that you've crapped on I don't know how many times. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, good good people and smart people make poor decisions. Um, and that doesn't necessarily not make them good people or smart people. It just makes the fact that they, they, just, they just made a poor decision. Um, I'd say you probably made more good decisions than bad decisions. Um, this obviously was a very poor decision for a number of reasons. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to give a dusty Baker speak here, man. Life, life is a, life is a crapshoot for the most part. And, um, you know, you're just trying to basically make as many good decisions as you can and hope they balance out all the bad decisions at some point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, so look, Sam Bowie for Michael Jordan's a pretty bad decision, but uh, <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> I mean, I guess the thing I never really thought about who who would I always thought who would make the decision they had to be idiotic, and they clearly weren't idiotic, and it just it just I guess changed my mindset for the way I think about whenever hopefully now whenever somebody does something really dumb i just don't think well that person's an idiot i actually have to do more to evaluate how intelligent that person is so you make a good point and then i'll just elaborate on that a bit and and one of the challenges that i've we're getting, we get deep in this podcast nick this is this is what happens when i'm not drinking during it right? i tend to i tend to get pretty pretty introspective i guess but um one of the things i've i've actually had to learn in working with actual people and not just other scientists um, and when I mean actual people, I mean like what I would consider a client, you know, someone that's, that's hopefully going to purchase something from my company, um, is that they're never, they don't make, they don't make poor decisions because they want to make poor decisions. <laughs> they, they will make poor decisions because they're either uninformed or, um, they're making a decision based off of like a percentage of time that they think it's going to be good 75% of the time and 25% of the time it's not going to be good. And that just happens when you make a lot of decisions as a person that's a decision maker, which uh, that sounds like a, is that a, is that a John Madden quote right there? I don't even know. God, that, that was horrible. Um, that's why Jim Caldwell has taken the, the approach of just not making a decision. That's yeah, no, I'm just, I, I just want to preface everything I say by I'm, I'm an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't speak eloquently about anything, and uh, I just sound horrible. I'm sure, um, but yeah, I mean, we as someone that makes a lot of decisions, like you're going to make poor ones. It doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. Um, it just makes makes you means you made a bad decision. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It, it is it is interesting though. You gotta you do have to think about it from from what you said, like putting yourself in that person's shoes and being well, you're not stupid. You just yeah. made a bad decision. All right, so I. I- yeah. I got a book and a book I haven't read in a few years, but I was reflecting on my opinion of the Colts and, and Purdue football and football in general. And so, oh have you ever read Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby? I have not. Okay. Um, so it's basically the format is a bunch of his diary entries, is what okay. it is. And so he goes through. He's a huge fan of huge fan of Arsenal. Like from growing up, I mean, he he knows more about Arsenal than than I know about anything. So, just an absolute huge Arsenal fan who happens to be a really good writer. And so he's writing his diary entries, and then he gets to the section of when he went to college. And when he went to college, he he felt like, and this was his viewpoint at the time, he was starting to get really into girls. He was thinking, I grew up, I'm, you know, more mature now. I'm not as into sports or sports fandom. And he, and he became less of an Arsenal fan at that time period. Uh, coincidentally enough or not, I'm replying it to my life because I'm becoming less of a football fan. I say it's because of all the concussion stuff and 
and I'm becoming more mature and think, well, that's not good to watch people damage themselves permanently. But then, a few years down the road, Arsenal got good again, and then he became really, really into Arsenal all over. And the point was, he wasn't maturing at all when he was in college. He was just, they were bad, so he became less interested. And they were good, so he became a lot more interested again. And I, I don't know if that's what's going to happen with me in the future. I do feel like with football, there's a certain amount of, of time, there's a certain amount of shift in, in what watching the sport means. But I just thought that the whole thing was interesting, that like a lot of times we like to think that we are maturing or we're developing, and it really has nothing to do with us. It has to do with our surroundings. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting book. He goes on. There's a lot more interesting about that than that, but I just really enjoyed that section. So that's is, it weird that, is it weird that when I got into college, I, I think I... Uh, well, I was wearing sweatpants every day, so girls wouldn't have anything to do with me anyways. But I focused a lot more on sports than uh, trying to meet women. Well, and drinking Keystone Light. But... I think that that has a lot to do with, with the people you surround yourself with, uh, me included. I think we were all a lot more into sports and we, uh, we found each other to, to hang out with so we didn't have to worry about things like we couldn't talk to girls. Well, yeah, but I also wore sweatpants every day, so it didn't really matter I, to begin with. I, I don't know if you remember, but I wore sweatpants quite often and slept on random people's couches. Oh, I, well, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I remember. I, I was I was there doing the same thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> just interesting. God, I was such a loser. No. Um, but again, but I, I, thought, I, I don't no. think it was you. I think it was your surroundings. I think it was just the people that you happened to... I mean, it's partly you, but it, it, it's partly your surroundings as well. I don't think we give our surroundings enough credit a lot of times. No, that's, that's a good point. Um, I mean, I'm thinking, like, when I moved to Boston, right, so... Originally from Chicago, love Chicago, love Chicago sports. Um, it becomes difficult to still be as passionate as a sports fan as I once was, given my surroundings. I'll, I'll, I'll say my surroundings also include a full-time job and, and whatnot as well. Um, I guess I wouldn't say that I've, I've changed my mindset on Chicago sports. It just... I guess I do approach things differently. I, I guess I, I, you know, I can't listen to the radio every day. I can't listen to, to sports talk radio every day. I, I can't, um, uh, I can watch every game simply because the internet let me do that. But with that being said, uh, yeah, I've had to kind of change my mindset in terms of, of the way I approach it, which has been a little weird. Um, and I wonder what that means for me in the future, but eh, whatever. Just yeah. embrace it. Okay. Sounds good. See you, man. Cool, man. See ya.